From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. It's the Friday VinePair podcast. And Zach, I don't know, you know about you, but when my team wins, I'm really all about spraying champagne all over the place. <laughs> I would love to see video of that. <laughs> no, I don't do that at all. I think it's ridiculous. But that's what we're going to talk about today, which is this crazy sort of idea that is all over sports, which is spraying alcohol when you win something, uh, whether it's Formula One, football, baseball, basketball, even bowling, maybe. I don't know. Bowling? <laughs> Has anyone ever sure. seen bowling? Do they go back and then like, yeah, PBR? I don't know. Uh, but th- this this idea of spraying s- alcohol, specifically usually champagne, yeah. everywhere is a, uh, a very... Or beer. Yes, or beer is a very common occurrence. Uh, and when we just we came up with the idea of, of this topic for this week, for this Friday, uh, Joanna, you had a, a very immediate gut reaction. What was that reaction? I just think it's so stupid and wasteful. <laughs> okay. I think that the spraying dousing tradition is one I don't love, but I do think that things like drinking champagne out of the Stanley Cup is pretty pretty cool that's cool i'm into that yes but, but the, you just think the wastefulness of the spray not yeah. good I, I also don't think like a shoey which is that australian tradition of drinking out of a shoe Ugh. which i first saw on f1 um i think that's disgusting that's gross <laughs> not like the, the german beer bar glass boot but like actually drinking out of a shoe that someone has worn that sounds yes. horrible like taking off your shoe and oh. drinking out of it. <laughs> like after like the shoe that pushed the pedal to the metal. Right. Dan- <laughs> Daniel Ricardo did this. I mean, so. I guess the shoe no. is the real the real hero in the story anyhow, right? The, the <laughs> shoe and the gloves, the, the driver just kind of wears them. Right. I don't know. I'm not a racing fan. <laughs> Here's the thing I think is so interesting is that also there's so many brands that sponsor this. Yes. And I wonder, and it must be lucrative for the brands, but like... What is it sort of – I don't know. They all want to be associated with it. Well, you're going to be in all the shots, right? Like that's the right. thing. If your your label is going to be prominent, whether it's the Formula One driver, the you know the, world, the baseball team winning the World Series, whatever, like you're going to be in the shots. I don't know if it drives consumer behavior exactly, but you're going to be in all the shots, which brands care a lot about. You know what I always think in those moments though? I'm always like, so it's not good enough for them to drink. Yeah, that's well, what I, I was wondering. They just want to just wanna spray it at each other. Do you think As, that they – what is that, that that new contraption like turns a champagne bottle into a, a squirt gun? Oh, you guys know what I'm talking what? about? It's, it's, no. it's all over Instagram and TikTok. Yes. Yeah, it's like – and like you can like spray it. I don't oh, gosh. I will say this. I think that some of that all gets consumed. Like definitely people are both drinking and spraying. I agree with your sort of general sentiment, Joanna. And I also bugs me. This is like a, a – God, a, you guys are the right audience for this annoying – this thing that annoys me. But – any sparkling wine that's used for a celebration is inevitably referred to as champagne. And this came up, right. came up recently as described with my Seattle Mariners, where it was like, oh, the champagne celebration. And in fact, it was a uh, domestic produced sparkling wine, which is fine. Like, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't celebrate with that. It's not like it's a problem. It's just like, I get it. Like, in context, everyone talks about the champagne celebration and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But like, maybe just spring for the champagne. You know, like, that's cool if you want to call it that. Otherwise, I don't know, just celebrate. It is funny to me doing a little research for this episode, though, that uh, in baseball, the, at least, and I imagine this might be true in other sports, the only beer products that can be used for celebration. So for one, they can only use sparkling wine and beer, no other mm-hmm. alcoholic beverages. So apparently you cannot douse your teammates in White Claw. And the other one is uh, oh. there has to be, an since Budweiser is the official sponsor of Major League Baseball, it has to be a Budweiser product. So no mm-hmm. no dousing your teammates with, you know, Coors Light or whatever. Sorry, guys. 
It's very <laughs> so funny. You put, like, if you're a big Bush guy, it could be Bush. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so ridiculous. So like, so then if it's if it's sparkling wine, do you guys think it's always champagne, or do you think sometimes it's, it's prosecco? Well, well, like for F one, it used to be GHMM, right? Uh-huh. But then they recently, this past season, switched to Ferrari Trento, and that's yep. what it is. Yeah, so that's not champagne, and they're just spraying it, and they're spraying it, and there's like the added, you know, whole thing about it being Ferrari Trento. And people thinking it's Ferrari. Yeah, see, I think this is the the dumbest move on this brand's part. <laughs> because I think this brand this is this brand has a great wine. Yeah. Um I think it's a delicious sparkling wine. But I've always felt that Ferrari has a issue in the US with consumers thinking it's- that it's owned by Ferrari, the car company. Yeah. And I feel like this is just like typical, like they're Italian and don't understand and don't want to understand that that's the issue. Like, come on, it is different. It's like, no, we don't see it as different. And then, then sponsoring Formula One is just further muddying the waters. Yeah. I actually think that the damage that this is going to do to their brand in the US of people thinking it's a Ferrari sparkling wine yeah. is going to be v- for a very long time. For I think a very it's so long interesting. Time. It was such an interesting choice i mean like you're like i I, sometimes like in marketing the obvious things are not the best decisions (laughs) do you know what i mean like i just wow you heard it here folks i just think it's true and uh come at me ferrari i i I really (laughs) i guess i can cross off uh vine pear branded pear brandy on my list of uh possible things for yeah never doing pear brandy uh you know i but i think again it's one of these things where you, you assume you're going to be in all the shots, but that's a perfect example of where, like, I don't think it does you good. I actually think it harms the product. I think in a lot of ways, some of these champagnes, like, you never see the super, super, super high-end champagnes being sprayed. Never. Never. Mm-hmm. People aren't walking around spraying Dom all over themselves. They're drinking Dom. They're spraying, I don't know, a different champagne, mm-hmm. right? Mum or whatever, that I think maybe also was willing to give up the sponsorship. It's like, ah, oh, do we really want to be associated with this anymore? Like, again, I think it's very cool to be the champagne that's drunk out of the Stanley Cup. That's mm-hmm. a very different thing. Yeah. It's a very different thing because you're still consuming. I think there's, and I think consumers look at that, right? What are they drinking versus what are they spraying? Like, how are they treating this beverage? And you think about it based on like what you're willing to spray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's always necessarily like the best thing for your brand. Well, I think there's also the question of to what extent are these uh, collaborations and sponsorships part of larger marketing efforts, right? Yeah. So, yes. So yeah. I think that there is benefit perhaps – I don't know if it's specifically uh, for Ferrari Trento, but for some of these brands to say we're the official sparkling wine of Formula One. Right. So, and, yeah. and we, as we've talked about on the podcast before, like Formula One is a brand now that has uh, an audience, I think, both, you know, in Europe and here in the United States, that is, you know, probably more affluent than the broader alcohol consuming audience as a whole. And is probably like, oh, well, maybe that's going to move some bottles for them. And it's not because the winner of the race sprays their crew team down with sparkling wine, but because that branding is attached to it and it has cachet. Right. I, again, did a little bit of inquiring because I was personally curious about how, again, to come back to the Mariners, because it's what I know well, how the sparkling wine that was placed in the 
in the locker room after they clinched the playoff spot, how that came to be there and asked around with some people. And, you know, it's part of a much larger sponsorship deal that the parent company has with the Mariners that includes placement at the stadium, et cetera. And so it's like a byproduct of this larger engagement. It's not like they came and said, hey, we want to, you know, what is it going to cost us to be the champagne that you or the sparkling wine that you use should you make the playoffs? It's just part of this much larger thing. And maybe it could be that even the brand looks at that placement as possibly a slight negative. I kind of doubt it. But like... It, they're they're doing it for a, uh, as a part of a much larger endeavor in the same way that you know Budweiser is is the beer in those celebrations as a part of a much 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 larger celebration or much larger collaboration with Major League Baseball, not just for that specific spot. So I think that it's instructive to look at it that way. I also wonder. Here's my this is not alcohol, but I think it's also very relevant here. Like, what has it done for Gatorade to be like the thing that's dumped on the coach when the team wins a game? Do you think that's good for Gatorade? So I think that for Gatorade, it's different because it's almost like for that, it's that is the Gatorade was always going to be there. Well, and I that that's so that I think is why it works, mm-hmm. because it's just a reminder to everyone. Hey, this is what we were drinking on the sideline the whole game. Yeah, the whole game. We were staying hydrated with this now tub that we're dumping on the coach because this is what's left over but you see it's also usually mostly ice and sometimes a little bit of the liquid but like it's usually not totally full and that's because they're reminding you that they've been drinking it the whole game right so i think that that's a very nice sort of subliminal message to especially younger people who are getting into athletics like oh the team i love to watch drinks gatorade Mm -hmm. but the difference with alcohol is like they're not drinking it the whole game it's like they're not they're not using it for peak right they're not using it for peak performance Right. So I think that like and what what also is, I think, difficult with these celebrations is that usually in the uh, in the after game, like post game interviews, the athlete is usually drinking what they actually want to drink. Right. So, like, you know, you've seen LeBron come up on the dais with like Lobos tequila before. Right. Like his really? tequila. Yeah. 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 Oh my you've seen you've seen like they bring up their products yeah. or. <laughs> Like, or they, or they drink, you know, or there's, I've seen bottles of Dom before. I've seen bottles of, uh, Krug before. Like they bring Mm -hmm. up what they actually want to drink after they've sprayed themselves with whatever was the cheap shit they sprayed themselves with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that that's like the difference here that is why the whole spraying phenomenon doesn't work in the way that people think it works. Well, it's also been, unfortunately, like, because perhaps it's become so regimented and expected yeah. and sponsored, yeah. it does sort of lack the sense of, like, truth. I mean, I think for the athletes themselves, it's fun and it's a thing that they do to celebrate and, like, whatever. But I also agree that, like, it has sort of become a cliche. And, be- and again, it's become packaged and branded and sold in a specific way that you know, maybe robs it of some of its significance and that maybe what you're describing, Adam, or even I think, you know, again, talk about brands looking to connect with sports, you know, probably what matters much more is, you know, if you're in a, in LeBron's, you know, Instagram feed, right? Like if you're the thing he's drinking, not in that moment when he's celebrating, but in the, mo- in the moments of his life where people are presumably looking at his lifestyle choices and wanting to emulate them, that's going to matter a lot more than, Whatever the ha- the sp- bottle of sparkling wine that happens to be, you know, uh, team or league branded is there when they win something or you know pick your athlete doesn't really matter who. So it's you know it's it's an interesting thing. I also I have to give one other 
note here for those who aren't familiar with Joanna mentioned the the shoey, which sounds horrible. One of the other grossest <laughs> traditions and celebratory drinking that I'm aware of is the winner of the Indy 500 drinking milk, which seems horrifying yes. to me. Like oh, you spend so gross. hours upon hours in a like <laughs> I imagine incredibly hot you know, like race car, Ugh. and then they're like, "Here, have this big like glass jar of I assume cold, but whole milk probably." Like, oh. Miss me really with that. thirst quenching. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, oh, milk, as, as Ron Burgundy said, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we just talk about how, like, sticky everything is, too? Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, it just seems miserable. Like, now we're covered in sticky champagne hugging each other and, like... Uh, I mean, I know everyone's hitting the showers, but, like, oh Yeah. But also, Zach, you said it, it's, like, now it's... Yeah, now it's, like, facilitated, so they put up, like... Pl- branded plastic yeah, on the walls yeah. and they give yeah. you goggles so nobody gets their eye poked out with the cord. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's crazy. It's not fun. It- <laughs> it's not fun. Speaking of things that may or may not be fun, <laughs> we have a beer in front of us we're going to try. Yeah. So speaking of sports, uh, a brand that, that basically was made in in a stadium, Blue Moon, uh, has released really in like in the, in the Colorado in Rockies Col- yeah, stadium. Yeah. yeah, Blue Moon sort of like had a, a brewery there and then became really popular and then sort of expanded from there and is, I think, the number one wheat beer in America. But so they've released a their, their now version of a hazy called Moon Haze, and it's hazy, juicy, pale ale brewed with dried whole oranges uh, and has nothing to do with our conversation today. I don't know <laughs> if anyone ever sprays Blue Moon. I don't think the Rockies are very good, so they probably never will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we figured we'd try it because, you know, why not? Yeah. That sounds good. People love Blue Moon. My father-in-law loves Blue Moon. Yeah, you have mentioned on the pod before that it is a a favorite. He loves it. That's like his like summer thing. Um, I definitely. I will say first of all, it sprays very. It pours very, very hazy orange. I think probably the haziest orange of any sort of like more mass produced hazy I've seen. It's like really the color of like it's opaque, egg yolk, yeah. yeah. And it is very orange on the nose. You know, I wish we had a regular or just a regular Blue Moon to compare it to. I haven't very had one in orange. a very long time. Wow. That's interesting because to me it smells a lot like I recall Blue Moon smelling. Now, granted, to be fair, right. probably many of those were served with an orange slice in them. Oh, uh, I'm sure yeah. I, I'm sure it's opaque because it's a wheat beer, right? It, there's, it's yeah. It's got to be. Let's try this. But it's they're calling it a hazy, juicy, pale ale. Let's try this. Sucker. What, what's the ABV? Uh, five point seven. Okay. Tastes like blue moon. Yeah, I'm not sure I would distinguish it all that much from a, what I That's, envision yeah. a blue moon tasting like. It's maybe a little bit, little richer, maybe a little more bitter. It's got a lot more bitterness yeah, bitter. finish for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm going to be honest here. It's not. It's not well made for a hazy. I think it's not balanced. Like the the thing that the hazy gets well, this doesn't get well is it the hazy has that pillowiness and that bright orange aroma but then it's very fruity on the finish it's not bitter like this Mm -hmm. i think someone lost the script here and was like let's figure out how to engineer that it's just it's not what i would want from a hazy i was really 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 excited when i poured it when i saw the color when i smelled i was like okay this is maybe they did get this right but they didn't in my opinion but do you think they have have to no i think people like blue moon like blue moon but i don't think this is going to convert any like hazy little thing drinkers 
Mm-hmm. But see, it's funny that you mentioned Hazel the Thing because I think this is a problem that Hazel the Thing has too, which is that to be, you know, coast to coast all the time, I think it has to kind of cut some hazy corners too. I don't think of Hazel the Thing as pillowy at all. Like it has a little more juiciness than uh, some yeah. in your standard IPA perhaps. But like, I think that the thing that we've seen so far at least, and maybe someone will crack the code, is like if you want the, the true sensation of a hazy IPA, you kind of got to get it fresh you got to get it i mean i don't know if you got to get locally but i don't think any of the big national kind of quasi craft quasi macro breweries are gonna be able to get it because i just don't think it's a format and a style that really can be produced at on mass canned and sent around the world like this is a fine beer i guess i think yeah it's basically a slightly hoppier blue moon in my eyes yep but i don't think it's gonna if you're a haze bro i don't think it's gonna do it for you but i don't think he's a little no. thing really does either i don't think I don't think Hazy Little Thing's audience is really Haze Bros either. It's IPA drinkers who it's a little different and that's fun, but it's not like going to replace their local craft Hazy to them. I don't think. I don't think this is a beer for Haze Bros. I think this is a beer for Blue Moon drinkers. Yes, I think you're right. Who want to be a part of the Hazy trend. I think you're right. Yeah. And and in that regard, it, I think, achieves what it perhaps set out to do. Yes. Just probably not what we wanted to do. Yeah, not what I wanted it to do. Oh, well. Happy to try it. Yeah, it was, it was nice to try it. Thanks for sending it. If you have anything you want us to try on the pod, send it. <laughs> Hit us up, podcast at vinepair.com. You just got to ship to New York and Seattle. Uh, <laughs> and with that, I'll see you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.